warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Friday, September 3rd, Seattle, Washington. Split Reason and Sumo Lounge present, present Sarcastic Gamer's second annual Pax for Life party. For a night of fun and surprises at the gorgeous Fox Sports Grill. Just one block from PAX. Doors and the bar open at 9 with free food and drinks until 11 and beyond. Meet your favorite SG personalities like Lano, Dave, Frawls, Tom, Jax, Harlequin, Esmeralda, Alex Saunders, Undead Dog, 8-Bit Bass, Aladouche, and, and more. Plus an avalanche of free swag and prizes including five kick-ass Sumo Sway gaming beanbag chairs to be given away from SumoLounge.com. Tons more surprises are already being planned, but they're so freaking awesome. We're not allowed to talk about them yet. Tickets are $30 in advance. To proceeds benefit Extra Life 2010. Play games, heal kids, Extra Life. A limited number of tickets are available. And when they're gone, they're gone. Order online and get a free limited edition Extra Life t-shirt. From legendary designer Nate Voss. Courtesy of SplitReason.com. Don't be stuck reading about this party in the blogs. Come celebrate life with us. Friday, September 3rd. Sarcastic Gamers' second annual Pax for Life party. From Split Reason, Sumo Lounge, and the Internet's true original. SarcasticGamer.com. Tickets available exclusively from sarcasticgamer.com slash store. All right, this is Steve from Bone Bat Show, and I'm here at the starting line of the Seattle to Portland Bicycle Classic. With my man, Andy C. How you feeling today, man? Doing great. Ready to go. You feeling good? Feeling great. You got, think you got 204 miles in you? Give me two days and a little bit of coffee and some beer and I'll have 204 miles in me. Fantastic. Well, let's do this thing. We'll see you guys on the road. Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. Hey, this is Jensen from Witchery. You're listening to the Bone Bat Show.
Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 51 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How you doing, man? Doing good. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. If this is a video podcast, it'd be great, because we both stopped and turned and looked askance at the it's, other one. It's <laughs> kind of fucking weird. We've never actually, we've done a little bit of remote stuff at Comic-Con, but we've never actually recorded this show in the same room. In the same state. What's up? What's up? <laughs> hey, sexy. You're looking good, man. <laughs> it's going to be kind of weird to do this with you, I mean, right there. I know. Watching it, me. it really is. It's it's a different vibe to Usually it. Usually you're you're far away and I can give you a hard time and not have to Pretty worry about Pretty goddamn cool. Me. Yeah, now I can actually reach you. <laughs> <laughs> well, since, since we're here together, I, I got to bring something up. Please Steve. do. Okay. You end emails with this completely random word. Best. You just type in email along, <laughs> la, 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 and then you're, best, Steve. And I've, I've never really understood that, so I know I, I called you on it. <laughs> I, I started giving you shit for just using, see, this is great, because he's giving me the look. Normally, I don't see the look, but I'm, I'm getting the look. I gave him shit for giving, for ending with just random superlatives, and Steve goes on to tell me, you, my friend, go on to tell me. <laughs> That this is something that normal people do in the course of business emails, that they just end email with, best! Yes. <laughs> it just... Yes, it, it's a thing that is going on. It happens in the world. It's not something I was aware of. You're the only one that does it. and I'm, I'm not the only one who does it. No, no, you're the only I'm one in you. my world that does it. Okay. I, I talk to my wife, who's got a real job, and she says, yeah. Yeah, people do it in, in her real job world, too. <laughs> and she uh, said it was fucking retarded. <laughs> So. That doesn't sound very politically correct. No, and she's a fairly politically correct it's, person. I feel bad for the uh, impaired around the nation <laughs> that have been slammed by your wife mercilessly. Yeah. Because they can't end emails properly to your satisfaction. So, for all of our retarded listeners, please stop ending your emails with best. Because <laughs> it's, it's demeaning. I don't see what the... What, what is demeaning about it? It's it's essentially short for best wishes or whatever. I mean, I, I don't see what the big deal is. It's, it's dumb. It's like ending... It's like if you and I are talking, and when we finish talking, I go, huge. No, it's... it's it's You're saying best wishes. It's actually smarter than saying yours truly. Greasiest. Yours truly? What the fuck is yours truly? Most engorged. Sincerely. That doesn't make any sense. That sincerely makes sense. So you're you're saying, calling it something it's not. You're saying it's a random superlative, and it's not. It's an abbreviated subscription. It's a completely different thing. So just because you say it's something else, because you have some sort of a rhetoric, rhetoric degree, <laughs> the rhetoric degree doesn't mean that that's actually so. Yeah, actually it does. It, it doesn't. So. No. Yeah. No, fuck you. You don't understand. I, I know what I'm talking about. People out there, listen to me. Stop ending your emails with best, even if it's an abbreviation for... Whatever, for this is the best email I've ever sent. Okay, so what is the the prescribed proper ending of an email in Gord World? Just stop. Say, Steve. Or if you're writing a business email, sincerely. Because it is a sincere No, sincerely is, it's archaic. You don't use sincere You're archaic. <laughs> and you have a tiny, <laughs> tiny penis. It's not an archaic one, though. That's my point. Fox. It's probably not the best one either. Okay, I'm tired of talking about this. So tonight, our music. We are listening to the band Witchery from Sweden, one of my favorite death metal acts. The tune we've been listening to is Witchkrieg, the title track off their brand new CD from Century Media, and we'll be listening to more from them throughout the episode. You know, the studio is so crowded, there's only one place to put a beer, 
and Steve is taking it. <laughs> so we're going to have, I'm, like... I can scoot over the mixer. Beer fight. There. There. Mixer has been scooted. I feel a lot better about the show. Now. I'm glad you feel better. So I suppose people are wondering, what am I doing here? And this was not a planned event. I just happened to be in Seattle on short notice. I said, Steve, I'm coming up to Seattle, well, like, tomorrow. And he went, oh, all right, cool. You know, come over, stay in my house. We'll do a podcast. So our act is not together yet. Here we go. <laughs> We've got some big news to announce. We so have it's huge news. Fortuitous that you're here. Yeah, we would like to. It's uh, four three it is. Uh, we'd like to officially announce the uh, the official official the official real official announcement. Real official the official selections film selections of the 2010 Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Fest. Film Fest. Yeah. How cool is, is that shit? It's so cool. We have yeah. some. You know, I know everyone that does a film fest says. We have some great stuff to show you. No, we actually... Oh, my voice is cracked. <laughs> Can I just go on a little sidetrack here? It's been said that I'm better than Steve at any video game, and that is not correct because we played Rock Band tonight, and Steve is much better at that game than I am. <laughs> I was the pits, and I think I blew out my vocal cords trying to scream. <clears throat> so if this podcast sounds a little like this, <laughs> it's because Steve is better at me at imaginary rock band music than I am. You sound like... Uh, what's his name? Emo Phillips. <laughs> Peter Brady. <laughs> George Bush Jr. 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 So, so our, sh- <laughs> our shorts. Uh, uh, let's just uh, run through the shorts that let's we've chosen for the film festival. Uh, first off, Death in Charge from Deviant Films, directed by Debbie Snively. And Eel Girl from Chameleon Pictures, directed by Paul Champion. The Horribly Slow Murderer with the Extremely Inefficient Weapon from Critical Pictures. Richard Gale, director. How My Dad Killed Dracula. Telltale Productions. Director is Sky Salil. Jones, cheap-ass, prepaid legal and daycare academy from Big Dog Eat Child. Matthew Wickes, director. Land of the Heads. From our friends up in Canada, the National Film Board of Canada. Directed by Cedric Lewis and Claude Barras. Pixels by One More Production. Patrick Jean, director. Murder Baby by Grumpy Panda, directed by Peter Podgurski. Santa the Fascist Years from Bill Plimpton. Oh, I'm so glad we have a Plimpton in this film fest. I love Bill Plimpton stuff. <laughs> uh, a film that made me laugh most of my ass completely off, Spider, Blue Tongue Films, directed by Nash Edgerton. And Treevenge from Your Dead Productions, directed by Jason Eisner. That made me laugh the rest of my ass off. You know, it's, it's a great selection of shorts. I think we've got stuff that's really funny. We have stuff that's fairly fucked up. We've got stuff that will actually shock you. And scare you. We have yeah, stuff that will you got scare it. So you. You, get you have to come to this festival and see it. And then finally, headlining, we have Jake bum, West, bum, bum. The Doghouse from IFC Films. Came out last year. Zombie flick. Fantastic stuff. you got to come out and check it out. It's going to be the first time this film has ever screened on the big screen in Seattle. Right on. It's the Seattle premiere, man. That's it. How cool is that? It's very cool. So, come on out. September 2nd, once again, 2010. Tickets are on sale now at bonehand.com. So, besides just making uh, your home open to me randomly, what have you been doing lately? Well, I just, uh, about a week and a half ago, finished the Seattle to Portland bike ride. How's your ass? 
<laughs> my ass has recovered. Oddly, my hands are still screwed up. Hmm, maybe you should have sat on your ass instead of sitting on your hands. There, there is that. No, it's a weird thing. Just like from, you know, white knuckling the handlebars going down these mountains. Oh, that's much better than white assing the handlebars. <laughs> <laughs> at top speed. You. I mean, it was it was weird because at one point I looked down at the bicycle at the cycling computer and it has like the max that you've gone during the trip. And at some point I went well, I was going 43 miles per hour. Ay ay ay. Downhill. That's kind of freaky. Although not as freaky as going 43 miles an hour uphill. Well, that's an impossibility, at least on a bike for me. But anyway, uh, but yeah, so your it was, hands, you're having. Yeah, yeah, it was really weird. Afterwards, like my fine motor skills had disappeared. I could do big stuff like picking up a beer, but like picking <laughs> up a paperclip, <laughs> getting a paperclip or something or a penny like off the counter. I just couldn't do that. It was like my fingers were really weak. It was the weirdest thing. And we were staying with Brother D and Miss Brand, and fortunately, Brother D is full service hospitality. If you know what I mean? So, I, so I those delicate to, zippers were yeah, not a problem. I, I didn't have to worry at all. So oh, that's nice. Fantastic. Thanks, Brother D. Thanks for taking care of Steve. <laughs> but yeah, it was. Uh, it took us two days. We left at six a.m. on uh, Saturday morning. Uh, rode one hundred and twenty miles to a place called Winlock, Washington. Uh, spent the night nearby. In a real bed in a hotel room. <laughs> you know, a lot of people like stayed in tents and slept on the ground, and I just figured, you know what? If I'm going to abuse my body like that, I'm going to sleep in a real bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good call. And then uh, the next day, we got got on the road about 9.30 and uh, rolled into Portland at 4.45 p.m. Uh, congratulations on uh, surviving it. Thank you. Yeah, it was 204 miles. I mean, there was like some really incredible moments where... You know, you're you're just riding. Uh, there's a section uh, near Yelm, Washington. You're riding on this bike trail, and it's kind of the exact kind of northwest forest I love. So it's you know a lot of ferns and the trees overhead. You're riding through, and the sun's out, but it's kind of so dappled. You like with, it, Woody? With shade, yes, I do. And it's dappled with shade, and then you pass like this, you know, lake by the side of the trail. It's just gorgeous, and I mean, just some really great stuff. But then there would be like the opposite of that, which is riding on four inches of shoulder as military <laughs> <laughs> of gravelly shoulder as military vehicles pass you at sixty miles per hour. That's fucked up and scary. Yeah, that doesn't sound like fun at all. And I mean, you know, and there were there were things like there was at one point it's really bizarre how, you know, we kind of talked in the last episode with Lewis Fowler a little bit about how, like how people have different views of bicyclists. There are some people who You've find some it pretty extreme views a real of annoying, yeah, really annoying. And it was it was there were a couple of experiences. It was almost like experiencing racism firsthand. No, it's not. It actually was. Check this out. So I'm riding down the road, and there's a line of cars, a traffic. This car door flies out in front of me, and I miss it by about three inches. I look into the truck, and there's a teenager pointing at me laughing. Did he call you Whitey? No, but I called him a fucking dick. <laughs> that's that's this pretty is no shit. Yeah, this guy actually physically tried to hurt me. And I was just, I was riding in the bike lane. I was not affecting that guy well, at all. do you think it's because he were on a bike or just because he was a dumbass? I think it was both. I think he was trying to, and Julie said that there's actually a thing like on YouTube that you can look up where people like post videos of people fucking up bicyclists. Don't do that, people. That's And there was, there was this other incident where we were just riding along the side and there was, a, there was a line probably like a mile long of bicyclists. They're all riding on the shoulder. This woman rides by. And she's just yelling at everybody about get the hell off the road as she's riding by in her car. She just <laughs> drove by the line and she's sitting there bitching everybody out. 
And it was just like this odd thing. I, I don't know where that venom comes from for what basically amounts to two days a, a year that this ride happens. That's craziness. It was absolutely fucked up. Wow. People are weird. Knock it off, people. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. And then the, the finally, you know, but a lot of it was really cool. And, you know, hanging out with my friend Andy, we rode together the whole way, and that was really cool, you know, kind of bonding. Our families met us at a couple of the food stops and were cheering us on, and that was really awesome. And then uh, the, the one other thing that kind of sucked, though, was at the end, we're riding into Portland, and they had to reroute the end of the ride. So you've ridden like 202 miles, fucking beat. You're riding into Portland, and all of a sudden, you have to go through this downtown area where you have to stop every block for oh. nine blocks for red lights. <laughs> it was absolute bullshit. Then after that, so you're, you know, I'm like quivering. My hands are so tired from are you riding trying to the drop by like dragging your knee or something. <laughs> right. And so then you get you get off of that, and you have to ride across this pedestrian bridge with pedestrians on it. Oh, people walking with kids again. A bunch of exhausted bicyclists having to ride across this narrow-ass bridge against pedestrian traffic. Then you get to the other side of that, and you have to go up like this spiral staircase <laughs> up to the main road again. Sounds like mousetrap. Oh, it was such a pain in the ass after all that ride. And like it went leaving Seattle, there were police like waving you through every light. We didn't have to stop for a light in Seattle city limits. Then you get to Portland, and there was we didn't see a cop the whole way. There was like zero support. In that city for the end of the ride. And I thought that totally sucked. But we crossed the finish line. Brother D and Miss Bren were there. We had a beer. Uh, they invited us over for some awesome uh, vegetarian chili. And we got to spend the night with them, visit a little bit. And that was fantastic. So. Why do you have to bring up it's vegetarian? Why not just say awesome chili? Because Miss Bren would probably like that I pointed that out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make a political point here? I'm not at all. You're riding your bicycle talking about your vegetarian chili. Oh, You're about shit. ready to Here move to go. California with me. <laughs> Damn hippie. So that was STP. Uh, throughout the episode, you're going to hear uh, little snippets of my on-the-road reports. I hope you enjoyed hearing about my experiences. I hope so, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird looking at you. It's weirder looking at you. So, dude. What pisses you, you off? You know what pisses me off? What? What pisses me off? It's not just the way you use best, but... <laughs> Eat a dick. <laughs> God, you're riding that hard. <laughs> it's like, it's such a, a, an unimportant, trivial thing. And just somehow this has just got, like, it's this really, is really a it's bee in your in my craw. You know what else pisses like me a off? a fat dick. <laughs> <laughs> Remarkably, you're not guilty of this, but a lot of people are. People that can't spell a lot, they spell it... A-L-O-T, like it's all one word. It's, that's two words. Yeah. A lot is two words, four letters, one space. A lot. For the love of God, people, if you can't spell a one-letter word followed by a three-letter word, kill yourself now. You know what else is four letters? <laughs> what, Steve? Best. <laughs> Best is a four-letter word. You know what pisses me off? What pisses you off? Okay. You get your lawnmower. It's it's Saturday. Let me, let me paint a picture for you. Paint it. It's, say, 11 a.m. on Saturday morning. You finish breakfast with the family, and it's time to go out and do some yard work. Yeah. So you haul the lawnmower out of the garage or shed. You make sure that it's all ready to go. I have an electric lawnmower, so I unplug it. It's all fully charged. I'm ready to go. I decide to listen to a little bit of a podcast. So I put, I've got my iPod on my side. I, I turn on the lawnmower start to push it down the lawn 
and I walk through a big fucking spider web, feeling it all over my face and my arms. I look down, and there's a big fucking horny spider on my elbow. I jump about four feet in the air backwards. The lawnmower goes careening across the lawn. I scream like a little girl. My wife comes running out of the house to see what the hell is happening. It sounds like one of the films in our uh, film fest. Was this a, a dangerous spider? You know what? That's the thing. It's like a primal thing. When the spider gets on your arm, you know, and you just feel like the webbing all over your face and in your hands and stuff, it's like this primal thing where I just lose my shit. Usually when there's sticky stuff all over your face, you don't mind. <laughs> Funny. But most, I'm serious about this, man. It's fucked up. You've never had that happen to you? Nah. I've, I don't know. Really you have like this weird rock garden. You don't even have a lawnmower, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Electric lawnmower. Here's the thing. We had a push mower because we have a very small back lawn, and we had this gas mower that we'd had for 100 years, and it died. So we got a push mower. Think, oh, we'll just you know push this. No, that does not work, people, because the lawn grows at about three feet a day. And I remember to mow the lawn because, yeah, it became my job. I remember to mow the lawn like once every two weeks. And the lawn was invariably so high you'd have to take a weed whacker to it just to get it low enough to mow. And the thing about having a small yard with one of these push mowers is a push mower works when you build up momentum. The first few steps, it's, it's you and then it starts mowing. But if it's a small yard, you never, it's like you're always taking those first couple steps and it never gets really going. So, you, so you're kind of just manhandling You're just it. kind of going, back and forth. It's, just, <laughs> it's like cutting your lawn with a bread saw. A lot like that, yeah, <laughs> except not quite as efficient. So then we got an electric mower. But no, the spider thing does not freak me out. There was a time I was in... Uh, the wilds of Kentucky, where we had these spiders I'd never encountered before that would spin their webs between the trees. And unlike the regular spiders I'm used to on the West Coast, you walk into a spider, a spider web, I'm, I'm guessing that spider didn't bite you. No, it didn't. But it, it, in all seriousness, I flicked it off super fast. Yeah. But these spiders, they look like, uh, like goat's heads, like those thorn things get stuck in your bike tires. Yeah, exactly. And uh, as soon as you walk into one, bang, they bite you. And it sucked. It wasn't scary, but it was shitty because every time you'd feel like the web and the bite immediately, and they'd just bite like like you in your chest or your neck. I hate those spiders. Oh, yeah, it didn't get bit, but, yeah, it just gave me the, the fucking heebie-jeebies. And I'm not really scared of spiders. No, you're not. You're you know, not. I can watch arachnophobia or if Julie, ah, spider in the house. I go pick up the spider, put it outside or whatever. I'm fine with that. But just the thing of not being ready for it and being surprised by the webbing on your face and then feeling it crawl up your arm, just, ah. <laughs> you know what else pisses me off? What? Something this week. Uh, you know that video game Plants vs. Zombies? Yeah. Came out for the iPhone, like last year. Yeah. Um, there's a new update. And you know the, the dancing zombie? Yeah, that, the Michael Jackson yeah, zombie? Yeah, Michael. They're taking that out of the game. Why? Was it molesting the little kid zombies? <laughs> it was. It was really, <laughs> Damn it. It was really jacked up. No. Evidently, Michael Jackson's lawyers or estate's lawyers got in touch with PopCap and said that that was too much of a likeness of Michael Jackson. So they... <laughs> now that he's dead? <laughs> yeah. So, so they've... They've re-basically done that character, that zombie, into like a disco zombie, and so that was, is what it's going to be going forward. So are you going to be forced to download Disco Zombie? or like No, well, the, yeah, I pro- I'll, have, I'll have to because it's like an update. But here's the thing. Copyright lawyers out there, just because you can take something down doesn't mean you fucking should. This was a case where this was an homage to Michael Jackson. And thank you for saying that word right. You're welcome. Every time somebody would look at this, 
they would say, oh, Michael Jackson, man, the Thriller video. You know, I'm no fan of Michael Jackson particularly, but the Thriller video was fucking entertaining. It was, and I knew immediately the zombie you're talking about. You said, you know, that yeah, zombie that dances exactly. on like the Michael Jackson Exactly, zombie. and so if, if you're playing the game Plants vs. Zombie, you come across that zombie, it makes you think of that, maybe you go rent This Is It, or maybe you go download Thriller, or maybe you do something that actually benefits the fucking estate. It's a warm feeling thing. But now that's going away. Now when I see that zombie, I'm going to be pissed at the Michael Jackson lawyers because I think that that's fucking stupid. It is fucking stupid. Like I said, you don't have to fuck with things just because you can. Sometimes leaving something out in the world can benefit you and have a warm memory towards, in this situation, that particular celebrity. And if there are any copyright lawyers out there that now don't know what to do with their time, uh, they could, you know... I don't know, defend cartoonists when radio shows steal their cartoons and put them on their website. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I guess the lawyers have to earn their pay, and I, I, I sort of understand that, but there are some things where it just, it doesn't make sense in the scheme of things, and that's one of them. <laughs> I'm having a hard time doing this podcast looking at you with this microphone, like, bumping me in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I think that totally blows. Got a political rant this week? I didn't really have time to really flesh this thing out. This podcast came upon me a little quicker than I expected, but it's going to be a brief one. You know what pisses me off politically is when somebody goes through all the effort to run for office. They spend all this energy and all this money, and they get a lot of people, enough people believing in them that they elect them to do this job. Uh, and it's, it's a hard job, and it's an important job. And once they get that position, they quit to do something else. And I know it's normal, especially when you're running for another office, you know, your your governor, maybe you, you want to run for whatever, Senate, or you're, you're in a low-level office and you, get a, you kind of use that as a stepping stone to a high-level office. But that's, you know what, that's bullshit because you're not doing your job. There should be some kind of a rule where you got to finish out your term, and if you don't, if you quit to run for a higher office, then you got to repay the state the cost of the election to put the new person in the position or something. Because... You're quitting on on a commitment you made, and it, we could we could go and talk about Sarah Palin, who's as far as I'm concerned a quitter. She didn't even quit to go for a higher office. She just quit, mumbled something, and then now she's like on Fox News and giving speeches or something. I I don't understand how anyone could back that bitch up, but that goes for Senator Obama too. I that just it seems messed up that you've got this big difficult job and and you're not doing it because you're too busy promising people you're going to do a good job at your next big difficult job do your job that's it but like what what is the alternative like how do you get the supposed best and brightest to move up in the position do they have to wait until they complete a term of something and then wait four years and no i'd say at the, the end of their term maybe they could. you know or how do you yeah, i'd say maybe you, that goes forward you can't announce your candidacy if you're already in office you know, if you're Governor Pete Wilson back in the day and you're being the governor of California, you can't decide to run for president until you're done being governor. Once you're done, you're out of office looking for something new to do, decide to run for president. Then it's something you can do. All right. Thanks for the rent. Yeah. So why don't we get back to our musical feature band for this week? Uh, let's talk about witchery a little bit. Uh, which was formed in 1997 from the ashes of a band called Satanic Slaughter. Guitarist Patrick Jensen, who is also the guitarist in another great band, The Haunted. That you I know that be band. Familiar with. I am familiar with. 
uh, great band. Also, uh, Richard Corpse from Satanic Slaughter, Toxine from Seance, and Charlie D'Angelo, who is the bassist for Arch Enemy and Merciful Fate. Uh, got together to form the band and uh, released Restless and Dead through Necropolis Records in 98. Obviously, the uh, album title was a pun on Accept's Restless and Wild. That's right, or Bastard and Wild, as we called it in high school. <laughs> and they, you know, they, they've done this a lot throughout the years. Like uh, one of their albums, they have a song, A Hearse of the Pharaohs, instead of Curse of the Pharaohs, which is a Merciful Fate song, Metallica cover. You know, there's just a, a lot of kind of very tongue in cheek humor in their stuff wrapped around horror movie type lyrics and then based on very cool riffy chunky guitar riffs and uh, i've just always been a big fan of how the uh, the band puts super catchy songs together with a great sense of humor that's always kind of been their trademark and it's it's great stuff then uh, following that they came out in 99 with the witch burner ep which is actually a ep of covers so they cover fast as a shark by Except. Except. Uh, Neon Nights by... Another band? <laughs> uh, Black Sabbath. Oh. With uh, Ronnie James Dio singing that one. Yeah. Uh, Riding on the Wind by Judas Priest. And a uh, number of other songs. So it's uh, another very cool EP. That was followed by Dead Hot and Ready <laughs> <laughs> in 1999. Uh, and Symphony for the Devil in 2001. Then uh, Necropolis Records folded not long after that. They jumped over to Century Media released uh, Don't Fear the Reaper in 2006, which is, isn't really a pun at all. No, no. But we did play that in a rock band tonight. And I, could, <laughs> I could sing that. But one. that was the Blue Oyster Cult version. That right. Was a completely different song. And uh, this year, they just released Witch Krieg on Century Media as well. Uh, how about another tune? How about it? And when we come back, an interview with Jensen, guitarist for Witchery. This one is, let's go way back to 1998's debut album from Witchery Restless and Dead. This is The Reaper.
So, uh, Steve here. It's with uh, Andy C. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. So it's the end of day one of the STP Bike Classic. We've got 120 miles. We're in uh, lovely downtown Winlock, Washington, uh, sitting beneath the shadow of the giant cock. Yes, there's a big picture of a rooster. You'll see the picture probably on the show notes for this episode. What I, what I just can't get tired of is we're also in the shadow of the world's largest egg. And it is a big egg. <laughs> so, yeah, it's an uh, uh, embarrassment of riches here in Winlock. So, uh, while our fine ladies are coming to pick us up and take us to a dinner and hopefully some uninterrupted sleep, I uh, thought I'd... Uh, Put down a few notes. So uh, today it hit, we had some highs and some lows. Took off. It was overcast for the first half of the day, uh, and uh, we ended up getting stuck at the Spanaway Food Stop, which I, I suspect that's what purgatory is like. If purgatory is all waiting, then that is what purgatory is like. It was the first in a long series. I, I guess the the REI was really the warm up, wasn't it? REI right, was yeah. sort of the harbinger where we had to wait ten. You know, 10, 15 minutes just to take a piss. But but at Spanaway, it just got out of hand. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. Uh, after that, uh, it was like just about 16 miles of crappy road. It was on this, this road that has gravel on the side, no shoulder, and we're getting passed by like Winnebago's and farm equipment and all kinds of crazy shit. And, and a couple of hippies rolling down the window and yelling shit at us. Yeah. Oh, you guys are supposed to get out of the road. Not recognizing that in the state of Washington, the bicycle is considered a vehicle. For two days a year. For two <laughs> days a year, the bicycle is, is on equal footing with the car. The car man and the bike man, well, have to coexist. They don't have to be friends. <laughs> so, uh, but after that was magnificent, then we, we get out of uh, McKenna or something like that. Yeah. And we go, we get all, all of a sudden we get on this bike path from Yelm to like Tonino. I think the bike, bike path was the biggest highlight for me. And you were, it was really flat. After, it was interesting, before Spanaway, we kind of still had the uptight Seattle people kind of getting in your way and not getting out and um, feeling like they all owned the road and, and not really working together well. At least, I, I don't know about you, Steve, but I found that I had at least four or five times where people would just camp out on the left side and not, not let anybody go past. But once once we got out of Spanway, and really especially on that bike path, people were really, really respectful, really worked together. If someone was going faster, they just let them go by. It was nice, and it was sunny, and it was beautiful. There wasn't wasn't a whole lot of wind slowing you down. We made good good time. Lots of chicks in biker shorts. Always a bonus. Absolutely. So, yeah, that was fantastic. And so then uh, we hit a couple of hills, but we made it here, and uh, it was a good day. Uh, couple of interesting firsts for me so we're riding past like there's this dog by the side of the road and literally hundreds of bicyclists are riding by this dog and of course and the dog's just sitting there calmly not doing anything i get next to the dog and the dog immediately jumps out and tries to kill me out of all these people it picks me out typical of my luck dogs smell evil <laughs> i think that's it and then not long after that we're going through this town and this teenager opens up a truck door right in front of me. Oh, so that's what pissed me off today. Dogs that uh, sense me and teenage kids. So, anything piss you off today? 
you know, the, those folks I talked about earlier who were just not letting people buy, specifically not letting me buy, pissed me off. And then didn't, not really something that pissed me off, but um, we saw a nice wreck, actually. I, I was riding with some guys just a couple hundred yards ahead of Steve, and I thought, oh, I'm going to slide back and, and see what Steve's up to. So I pulled up a little bit to, to reconnect with him. And all of a sudden, these two guys just went down in the middle of the road, and uh, um, I don't know if it was over dramatic, but the guy flew over his handlebars and just lay there for a while in the street. And... Yeah, I mean, he was the dictionary picture definition of comatose when I rode up, just face down on the blacktop. They asked him to move his toe, and he moved his toe, and my, I don't know, where I, where I come from, if you can move your toe and you're laying in the road with with cars coming you get the hell out of the road and <laughs> yeah, then, that's a good then assess assess whether you've broken your collarbone or your shoulder or whatever but use your legs get the hell out of the road so yeah we had to stop and and direct the bike traffic around these guys while they figured out if this guy was going to live or not and once we knew he was going to live we took off but it, it was a pretty dramatic wreck i don't know gave me pause <laughs> yeah that was so all right well i think that's about it for today any other thoughts on a day one of the stp no, looking forward to more of this tomorrow, more sunshine. I hope it's right at the beginning of the day as we uh, roll 80, 90 miles into Portland. I'm looking forward to the beer, actually. Well, that's coming even soon. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon, guys. All right, and that was The Reaper. And I've got an awesome treat for you. I am sitting here talking with Jensen, the guitarist. From Witchery. How are you doing, sir? I'm very fine, thank you. You know, it's not every day that, that you come across a musician that's in two of your favorite bands, but you're in Witchery <laughs> well, and The Haunted, two bands I absolutely dig. Yeah, well, thank you very much. So tell me, how did Witchery get started? Well, we first, uh, we were in a band called Satanic Slaughter, and uh, it, basically it was a band that's been around forever in my hometown, and uh, they never seemed to get a break, so... I put them in touch with Necropolis Records, mm -hmm. and uh, they wanted to record an album, and they couldn't really get that going or off the ground either, so I kind of joined the band, and I, I helped them, and ended up writing uh, the whole album, basically, and then uh, when it was uh, time to record the second Satanic Slaughter album, the, guy, the main guy in the band said that, uh, you guys, you need to leave, this is not Satanic Slaughter anymore, so the four <laughs> of us were kind of kicked out. So we were all geared up to record a new album, and we said, okay, we just will continue. We need another name, and that's when we took Witchery. So we used to be Satanic Slaughter, now we are Witchery, and that was maybe 96 or something. Okay. And, and so now was Charlie with you at that point? No, he joined the, the guy, that guy, main guy in Satanic Slaughter. He was a bass player. Oh, okay. Yeah, so when he left, we had room for a new guy, and, and Charlie was the guy that got chosen. And he, at the time, he was playing with King Diamond? No, Merciful Fate. Merciful Fate. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's one of the, the really cool things is that Witchery has kind of turned into a super group. I mean, you have guys who have played in, you know, yourself and Haunted. Uh, of course, uh, Martin Axenrod is in uh, Opeth. Yes. Charlie D'Angelo I mean, is also an arch enemy now. So there's, yes. you know, a, a wide range of groups. Now, is that a challenge for writing music with you guys that, you know, everybody has to fit in time from different projects? 
It's uh, it's it's very hard actually. That's why there was um, a six-year gap between uh, Symphonies uh, for the Devil and the Don't Fear the Reaper albums. It was just because we've always jammed out uh, the new songs. We've gotten together, just had a bunch of fun. I mean, when we started uh, Witchery, I hadn't yet formed the Haunted. Charlie wasn't in Arch Enemy, and Martin wasn't in Opeth. So mm. it was we we just met, you know, more or less every day and just jammed out songs. Then uh, Shirley joined Arch Enemy, um, uh, Arch Enemy and the Haunted. They started getting more successful, and we were way more. And Martin joined Opeth, and I mean Opeth, they can be on tour for two years straight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, we, um, I mean, six years is way too long for fans to wait for an album. So uh, we promised our fans that we won't, you won't have to wait this long again. But unfortunately, it turned out to be four years between mm-hmm. Don't Fear the Reaper and this one. Because Don't Fear the Reaper came out 2006, I believe. That's 2008, I, I had all the material <laughs> written, and I wrote everything by myself, just me recording on the computer, because jamming wasn't an option anymore. Mm-hmm. By the fall of 2008, me and uh, Richard, we had recorded all the guitars. At Christmas 2008, Martin and Charlie had gotten ho- uh, off their tours, and they had recorded their parts. So from January 2009, we started to wait for Toxine, our old singer, to, to come down and record the vocals. Nothing happened, nothing happened, and nothing happened. And by 2010, we'd waited a full year for the guy, so we had to let him go. We found a new guy in uh, Legion, and he two weeks later, he'd put on vocals, and that's why we had a, a gap of four years this time. Legion, who previously sang with Marduk. Yes. So... I mean, when we got all these guys together to to form Witchery, it wasn't a supergroup. We've become a supergroup <laughs> afterwards because the Witchery musicians are in such demand. Or I don't know. It's not like we were famous, if I may use that word, and then formed a band. It was the other way around. So that's, that's really cool. It's like a reverse supergroup. It is actually. So um, when people ask me how does it feel to be a supergroup, I don't know. We're still the same bums that used to, you know, just meet down the block for a few beers and then went to rehearse drunk <laughs> so i mean <laughs> well it's one of the witchery's real strengths since the beginning i thought is that with each album you guys put on an absolute clinic of riffery i mean it's not many bands where you're, you're listening to it and you're just damn that's a good riff and that's another one and that's another one how is it you never seem to run out of fantastic riffs uh, maybe because I've got a one-track mind. <laughs> i just got fantastic riffs on my mind. I don't know. I mean, uh, people might think that we uh, just casually write an album or something, but uh, there's a lot of lot of work we put into each album. And uh, I mean, we started the band uh, wanting to write music that we can't find anywhere else. So that's mm-hmm. probably why you. it's a mixture between thrash, heavy metal, hard rock, I, I guess, uh, black, you know, death metal... Uh, I have yet still to hear someone to really peg what kind of music Witchery plays. It's where the, I don't know if every riff is fantastic. I, I, I like our riffs, but, <laughs> you know, uh, we put a lot of work into them, and I'm, I'm very happy that you like it. Yeah, well, what, what has always appealed to me about Witchery is that, you know, I, I grew up with, like, Maiden and Judas Priest and Sabbath and all that good stuff. And then there, there came a day where I kind of wanted things to be harder and heavier and a little more brutal. So then it was Metallica and Slayer and Megadeth and along those lines. And so when, yeah. I, when I found Witchery, 
it was fantastic because witchery steps up that, you know, it's faster, it's heavier, it's harder, it's meaner. But the ghost of that 80s metal is all over it. And that's what is so great about it, that it can appeal to a fan like me who started out on the softer stuff. Well, you're just like me then, because I started out on Judas Priest, Motorhead, ACDC, Saxon, and then I, I got into, of course, Exodus, Slayer, and Metallica, and and went from there to to Cannibal Corpse and Tomb D's side, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I guess what you what you grew up liking uh, is what you will stick with you. So I'm a huge ACDC fan still. Yeah. So I I guess yeah, not not many bands write the kind of thrash death black metal but with an 80s angle I, I don't know how to, I don't even know what to call our music it's but I can clearly I, I understand totally what you say about the 80s angle so yeah, yeah it's you, you know you it, yeah, it's not pretty good <laughs> yeah it's not blatant but you can just you you can feel it in the soul of the music and that's a cool thing yes now another thing I really dig about your stuff is the kind of sense of humor that has always been in the music. Like you'll do little spins on you know previous song titles like "Paler Shade of Death," "Devil and the Damage Done," or my favorite "Hearse of the Pharaohs." That one's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> is that all you? Yeah. It, it's me and Charlie. Yeah. yeah. We're the kind of uh, I don't even know the word in English, but we like to uh, wordplay. Is yeah. it called wordplay? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, just being stupid with, uh, you know, grammar and stuff like that. So we like, we enjoy bad grammar a lot. So, you know, we get all these funny emails from different countries and stuff. And so that's where we get all those ideas from. (laughs) That's great. And like any good metal band, you have a mascot that reappears on your album covers, correct? Yes. Tell me a little bit about Ben Rangel. Well, he's Ben uh, Rangel. Ben means bone and Rangel means rattler almost. So it's in Swedish... uh, Bien Rangel is someone that is very, very, very skinny. And, of course, he's a, a skeleton, basically. <laughs> so uh, his, his name is Ben Rangel. That's where the name comes from. And he's been on every album so far. He's even on the latest one. It's actually, uh, you know, some people said it's uh, some kind of Nazi cover or whatever, but it's uh, Soviet style. It's, it's even right, yeah. um, Stalin on the cover with Ben's head right, or yeah. his face. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's even on the last this one so and I'm, I'm pretty sure he's going to be on every album we put out that's really cool the only thing is though on Witch Creek you can't tell if he's flying the W or not I haven't thought about that actually <laughs> I have to check that out but we still do in the band so cool so uh, one of the other great things about Witchery that I really enjoy going all the way back to Born in the Night Bone Mill is your guys instrumentals that you do not a lot of bands do these great thrashy instrumentals anymore and no. man, you guys do a great job with that. Thank you. I'm a big fan of instrumental songs myself, like uh, Voices from the Past, King Diamond, maybe. Oh, uh, yeah, or, sure. uh, Orion, Metallica, of course. On it, Into the Lungs of Hell, Megadeth. Just because we've jammed all the old albums together, we've, at the end, like, like the night before we enter the studio, we got a, a pile of riffs that didn't get used anywhere. So we put together a great uh, instrumental track. Just because this one was written by myself in the computer, it's not like you have a pile or, you, you know, you have your guys around you, you can just put a, a instrumental song together. And that's why the, this new album doesn't have an instrumental track. Mm-hmm. But that is something we need to... If we can get just two or three days of rehearsal for the next album, that we will only record or uh, try to write uh, an instrumental track, because I could pull off the rest myself. But we need to get that instrumental thing going again. 
Yeah, well, it's, I think it, Dead Hot and Ready was the only CD that didn't have one so far before this, right? That's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's true, yeah. All right, man. Well, uh, one last question that we always ask everybody who joins us on the Bone Bat Show. What pisses you off, man? Bad metal. <laughs> there's a lot of crappy metal bands. I'm sure there's a lot of people that think uh, the bands I'm in are crappy as well, but I'm fine with you being angry at my bands, and I'll be angry at whatever bands I think suck. So that's <laughs> what pisses me off the most. Great. So what's coming up next for you? Well, uh, Witcher is playing a festival on the 28th here in Sweden. I won't be able to do that festival because The Haunted had a festival in Finland booked prior to witchery booking, so we will have uh, Marcus Sunison from The Crown stepping in and to uh, do my guitars. And uh, same thing with uh, Martin Axelrod. He can't um, do the drums, so we have uh, Adrian Aronson, the uh, At The Gates haunted Absolutely, drummer. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he's flying over from England to, uh, to do the uh, drums on that show, so we're kind of a little um, gathering of musicians that would love to see witchery keep on going, even though certain members can't do this or that show, you know? Mm -hmm. Has that been a challenge before playing live, or is that kind of just a new thing? No, it's back when uh, The Haunted and Arch Enemy and everything, we weren't uh, as successful as we are today. We've done uh, European tours, we've done two U.S. tours, a uh, tour of Japan and so on. But uh, now, I mean, we've done one show this summer, and that was the first live appearance in eight years. Wow. Yeah, so uh, we really want to get this band back on the road. So our touring will probably prove impossible, but uh, doing festivals or, you know, coming over to the U.S. to do a New England Metal Fest or something like that, mm. where we get to play in front of a lot of people, it just, you know, booking a, a weekend for uh, doing witchery stuff. That, that's how we, we're going to try to work it. So if there is any festivals or whatever, just email the promoters, email everyone that can help bring witchery over to the U.S. because we really want to get back there and, and play with witchery. So. Okay. Yeah, well, I hope you make it out to the Pacific Northwest at some point because I'd love to see you yeah. guys live. Okay, we'll try. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for spending a few minutes with us here on the Bone Bat Show, Jensen. My pleasure. Uh, what's this next song we're going to hear? Next song is from Dead to Worse, and it's taken off the new album, Witch Creek, and it features a solo that uh, Andy LaRock of King Diamond does. And uh, I really love this song, and I, I love the chorus and uh, everything about it, so um, I hope you enjoy.
What up, Bone Bat fans? This is Steve. Day two of the STP, Seattle to Portland Bicycle Classic. We are hanging out at Lexington, Washington at the free food stop. I gotta say, my ass is bugging me a little today. It took two days to start bugging me, but yeah, it's a little sore. But uh, still having a good time. Spirits are high. And we're a mere 60 miles from Portland and beer and uh, Miss Bren's world-famous vegetarian chili. So we're looking forward to it. I'll give you another uh, update down the road here. So take it easy. Very cool. Well, thanks to Jensen from Witchery for joining us for an interview. You can check their stuff out at myspace.com slash witcherythaband, one word. And uh, through there, you can buy their CDs at centurymedia.com. The older stuff off Necropolis is harder to find, so you're going to have to dabble in the used marketplace to dig those up. But uh, they are well worth it if you can find them. So, dude, dude, we have a big surprise for everybody now. We do? We do. Check this out uh, through my good friend Limo, who joined us on the show. Limo uh, with the boat. Back during the holiday season. We have an interview with Stuart Gordon. No way. The race car driver? No. Oh. <laughs> the director of the Reanimator series. Oh, that's way better Castle than the race Freak car driver. from Beyond, the recent 2007 film Stuck. You know him. You love his work. Here's the interview. Check it out. All right. And we're back uh, once again on the Bone Bat Show. And we have a rare treat today with us. Uh, I would like to introduce to the show director Stuart Gordon. How you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. You know, I've been a fan of your stuff all the way back since I first saw Reanimator in college, a fantastic film uh, and that I really enjoyed, and I've kind of followed your work since. Um, so I, I guess... The first thing I'd like to ask is your work has been tied quite often with that of H.P. Lovecraft. When did you first discover Lovecraft's work? Well, I started reading Lovecraft when I was a teenager, and, um, you know, he really scared the crap out of me. Um, you know, I mean, his stories are just, uh, I mean, no one writes like Lovecraft does. And, uh, you know, when it came time to start making movies, uh, you know, I started thinking that maybe Lovecraft was a great place to start. Absolutely. You think he, he scared you so bad because uh, he leaves so many, so much to the imagination. And as a now a director, you're a very visual person, so you're able to conjure some uh, pretty fantastically frightening images from his stories. Is that what did it for you? Well, you know, the first story of his that I ever read, I think, was the one called "Dreams in the Witch House," which involves a witch coming through the wall of your bedroom and grabbing you by the wrist and yanking you out of bed and. <laughs> off to other dimensions, and you know the idea of that, you know, to a teenager or to anyone really is, is, is pretty damn terrifying. Absolutely, and you actually made that into an episode of Masters of Horror, correct? Yeah, we finally did. It was uh, it was funny because it was, as I said, the very first Lovecraft I'd ever read, and it's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> yeah, it was a great adaptation. I really enjoyed okay. it. So, a question about that. I mean, when with Lovecraft. He would, he would take the tack of kind of leaving things to your imagination, you know, with the whole, I could tell you, but it would drive you insane, you know, that sort of thing. So as a director, yeah, uh, how, yeah, do you, how do you decide how much to well, sometimes, show? Sometimes he's, he does get very explicit, though. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it depends. It, sometimes he's vague, and other times 
he gives you almost too much detail. <laughs> he gives you so much detail that it just confuses you. And you, but he he does get your ma imagination going. You know, and, uh, I mean that's the thing that's so great about him is that he involves you as a reader. Mm -hmm. you, know, you kind of mm -hmm. fill in the blanks. You know what you imagine in your own head is probably far worse than anything that he could describe. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is that that's got to be a challenge as a director. It is, and uh, you know I think the thing with Lovecraft is choosing the right stories. You know, there are some of his tales which are very internal, and, you know, those would be kind of hard to do. But others, you know, they're like Reanimator, you know, and Dreams in the Witch House, are, you know, action-packed. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, but, uh, and, and movies are really all about action. Mm -hmm. Well, and a lot of times, though, it, it, like, for instance, the short story From Beyond is only maybe the first, what, 10, 15 minutes of your film. And so that's given you an excellent springboard to just all kinds of full-color madness. It's true. I mean, it's, it's one of Lovecraft's earliest stories. And the thing about Lovecraft was that the, when he started writing, his, his stories were very short. I think From Beyond is like seven pages long. And uh, as he got more and more confident in his writing, his stories got longer and longer. And the last few things that he wrote were little novellas. You know, I think uh, his longest one is uh, At the Mountains of Madness, which is, I think, about 150 pages long. Mm hmm yeah, and like you're speaking, that's one of the more descriptive ones too. That's a hard, yeah, and that would be a hard one to adapt. You know, I know now that uh, Guillermo del Toro is talking about doing an adaptation of that story, and uh, it's kind of a hard one, I think. Uh, I'm curious to see what he does with it. Now, you you're also a fan of Edgar Allan Poe as well, correct? Yeah, very much so. So is Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. You know, Lovecraft was very influenced by Poe, and as a matter of fact, you know, in his early writings, he was really kind of imitating Poe's style. Uh, until he kind of developed his own. Hmm. You did uh, The Pit and the Pendulum, right? I did. Yeah, it was a movie I did back, uh, I think it was like in the early 90s. So one of the things I've found always cool about your work was that you often, you almost have like a stable of the Stuart Gordon players that is pretty cool to see this, like Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton and uh, Carolyn Purdy Gordon come in and, you know, play a different type of role each time perhaps. And, you know, stretch their, their acting wings a little bit. That's really uh -huh. cool to see. Well, you know, my background is in the theater. And, you know, when we did theater, we had an ensemble, you know, a, a group of actors that we would use from play to play. And um, I kind of try to do the same thing with the films that I do. And when you find a wonderful actor, you want to hang on to them. You want to somebody who's just as crazy as you are. And uh, <laughs> you, know, you want to kind of keep them with you and, 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 you know, do more and more things. I've noticed that a lot of directors do that. You know, you start seeing the same people showing up in, in you know, a lot of different directors' work. Yeah, yeah, that's true, you do. Guillermo del Toro, you, that you just mentioned, is another example of that, absolutely. So, and Harvey Keitel, yeah, yeah. he's always in... Um, Tarantino. Oh, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, Tarantino. He's always got uh, a couple of the same guys in his movies. Well, you know, I was talking about getting back to Guillermo, I mean, he's always got Ron Perlman in his film. Absolutely. Right. Right. Going back to the very first movie that he did. And Doug Jones, yeah. who you may yeah. not even know that's him, but he's in all of them. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I mean, people like, you know, Hitchcock, you know, with Jimmy Stewart or Cary Grant. I mean, you know, they all, you know, you see them over and over again. Mm -hmm. So is it coming from then the theater background that has made you, because oftentimes, you know, you might write on a project or produce a project or direct it. You're often involved in a lot of different facets of a project. Is that where that mm -hmm. comes from? Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's, um, I find that, um, you know, there's, the thing about theater, it's wonderful preparation, you know, and that you get a chance to work with actors and with 
writers, and uh, you know, we did a lot of original work when we were doing theater. Mm -hmm. I had the I had the chance to work with David Mamet at the beginning of his career, and we did really. Yeah, we did the very first professional production of his work. No kidding, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was uh, Sexual Perversity in Chicago was the play. And it was the one that really put Mamet on the map. Oh, that's really cool. I did not know that either. Yeah. Wow. Uh -huh. And I was able to work with him again more recently. We did a, I did an adaptation. Uh, it was actually Mamet's script uh, of his own play, Edmund, which uh, starred William H. Macy. Yeah, as they say, Mamet's always working with Macy. Yeah, that's, that's one of his favorite guys. And uh, so it was, it was fun to be working with David again after all those years. Well, even though you're really well-known for horror, you've also worked in a number of other genres, obviously uh, sci-fi with robot jocks and uh, space truckers. But also, I had, when I was reading over your, your list, I had no idea that you were so involved in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids series. Yeah, um, co-created it with my friend Brian Usner, and, um, you know, was able to, to executive produce the sequel, and I ended up even directing one of the episodes for the television series. Was that, that was that where your your kids at that age at the time where you were wanting to make something that they could actually see or? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. You know, uh, we were you know making all these scary movies that they couldn't go see, and we thought wouldn't it be nice to do to do a Disney film? <laughs> and so we brought the project there. Very cool. Yeah, Steve and I do a, a podcast that our children can't listen to, so maybe we'll follow <laughs> in your footsteps one day. <laughs> it's true. It's like when you're working on you know you know something really horrifying. You know, you really sort of yearning to do something more innocent, and when you're doing something innocent, you want to do something more horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that works, isn't it? It really is. Uh, now, speaking of things on the more horrifying side, uh, because of this interview, I, I finally got a chance this week to dig up Castle Freak. Oh, cool! And pick up a copy of that, and I really enjoyed that film. And one of the things that I really thought was great about it is, you know, a lot of horror movies you see. The plot and motivations within the characters aren't, you know, necessarily all that deep. But in this one, there was just a ton of great characterizations and plot. I thought that was fantastic. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, it was a project that, you know, did, I do a lot of work with Dennis Paoli, who's um, he's my old friend. We go all the way back to high school together. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was one of those projects that we did really quickly, and um, things just kind of fell into place. But I also should say that it was inspired by a Lovecraft story called The Outsider, uh, which is about a guy who's locked up in a dungeon and, and escapes. And, uh, you know, we kind of use that as sort of a springboard to get into the story. Oh, that's really cool. Well, it, it, one of the great things that, that I did notice was just it was a very human story. You know, some of the, the Lovecraft stuff is more, you know, fantastical or supernatural. But this was a very human story at its base. Yeah, absolutely. It was about a family, really. Yeah, and and even a family gone horribly wrong, all the ba way back to the Castle Freak himself. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, it, it, it's it's really about child abuse. You know, it's uh, I mean, it's, the thing that's great about horror films is that you can deal with topics that people usually don't really want to think about or talk about, you know, but that are you know are in the backs of their minds. And uh, I mean, the main one, of course, is death. I mean, that's what horror movies are really all about. Mm -hmm. You know, we all are, you know, sort of afraid and thinking about it, our own deaths, and uh, you know, horror movies are a way to kind of get that, those fears kind of out into the open and out of your system. Definitely. 
you know, on that line, uh, another recent film of yours, Stuck, which is primarily concerned with kind of the the horror that we perpetrate on each other as human beings. Uh, yeah. That's a, a good example of that sort of the humanistic horror. It is, and I, you know, I started realizing, you know, in the last few years, that the things that really happen, you know, are, are far more horrifying than the things that Poe or Lovecraft could, could come up with. Uh, you know, you read things in the newspaper every day that just you know, get your hair standing on it, and, uh, and that was a true story, and you know, something that was in the news a few years back that uh, I kept just wondering about, uh, well, what would make someone do that? I mean, it's about a, you know, a girl who uh, hits a homeless guy, and he goes through the windshield of her car, and instead of taking her into an emergency room, she ends up putting him in her garage, and the guy is still alive and is begging her for help. And the thing that made it even more bizarre was that the girl worked as a, um, a caregiver in a senior citizen's home. And, uh, you know, it's like, what would make someone who's normally, you know, a caring, helpful person and turn into a monster? Yeah, and, and even by the end, you're still not really sure why she made the decisions she made. Well, I think it was based on fear. It, it was, that, but, you know, because you put yourself in that position, and you'd like to think that you'd do something differently, you know? Well, it's true, and it's so funny, you know, it, you know we've all been in um, car accidents or, you know, things where, you know, we, and we've always got, you know, some way of sort of rationalizing the fact that it wasn't our fault, you know. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know, and uh, we were trained very early never to admit to the other driver that you were at fault in any way. And I think that, you know, this is kind of taking that to the sort of nth degree. The acting the was acting. brilliant. Stephen <laughs> Ree and uh, Mina Savari did just a fantastic job in that film. Yeah, yeah, they're great. And Stephen Ray is like one of my favorite actors, you know, somebody whose work I've been admiring for years. So it was, it was a great, great, you know, opportunity to work with him. And, and Mina uh, had, you know, she and I had worked together in Edmond, uh, the Mammoth, mm -hmm. and, uh, and really hit it off. She's a very fearless actress, and I mean, that's what I like in, in performers, is people who are willing to take chances and, and to portray, you know, do things that, um, you know, so, so many actors are worried about their image, and, and uh, you know, they don't want to do anything that's going to make them seem, uh, you know, unsympathetic, but Nina just really embraces the sort of darker sides of human nature. Yeah, but it was definitely, a, you know, a, a very meaty role for an actor to take on, and she did a fantastic yeah, job. absolutely right. So what are you working on now, Stuart? I'm working on a couple of things. I've got a, a, another project that is also based on a true story. I don't want to say too much about it, but it's going to hopefully be going into production fairly soon. And I'm working on that. I've been you know, working with Jeffrey Combs on a stage play based on Poe, actually in which he portrays Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, it's, it's called Nevermore, and we have been touring it around the country, and it's been getting standing ovations and you know, sold-out houses. Yeah, did I read it was going to make its way to Seattle at some point next year? Well, we're hoping so. I mean, we would love to, to bring it there. You know, Seattle's such a great town. My brother lives there, and um, you know, I visited a lot, and uh, it's a wonderful theater town. So it would be fantastic if we could bring the show to Seattle. Oh, I hope it, it. I definitely hope it makes it up here. Yeah, me too. So is there any uh, truth to the rumors that there is a uh, House of Reanimator out there in the distant future, perhaps? Well, unfortunately, it's not true. I, um, you know, people are more uh, interested in that project than anything I've ever done before, which is really kind of uh, frustrating because, you know, it was a piece that was about uh, Herbert West, you know, reanimating Dick Cheney. That was really the basic. <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> so the whole thing was based on a joke. 
Well, it was kind of. It was based, it was based <laughs> on actually on anger, you know, about what was going on with our country and the right. You know, during those terrible eight years that you know George W. Bush was, you know, in the presidency, and uh, you know the idea that you know you've got this guy who's the vice president who's actually running the country and who is being followed around by by paramedics every you know hour of, <laughs> of the day. So um, you know, it just sort of occurred to me what would happen if he did, you know, suddenly kick the bucket and uh you know they they would really be tempted to try to bring him back because he's, <laughs> he's running the show so that was sort of the basic idea of the movie and unfortunately I, you know people were so afraid of offending bush that we weren't able to get the financing for it <laughs> so it's one of those projects that just you know unfortunately is not going to get done but in some ways i'm glad that we don't have to do it now you know things that were, that were done with that, those, those black days <laughs> And somehow that turned into a Wikipedia post that you're getting all band back together and there's going to be a fourth movie. That's funny. Yeah, no, it was, it was one of those things where we were, you know, we did have, you know, all of the members of the original cast wanted to come back. Bill Macy, William Macy wanted to play Bush. Uh, you know, uh, George Went was going to play Cheney. I mean, we had an incredible cast. Uh, <laughs> but it just, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. All righty. So a question we always ask everybody who joins us on the Bone Bad Show. Stuart, what pisses you off, man? Oh, gosh, it's really hard to, to sort of narrow it down to just one thing. Right? You know. <laughs> I've got a lot of tape. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff that pisses me off. One of the things, as long as we're talking about horror movies that's pissing me off, is all these remakes that they're doing of movies that, you know, were fantastic films, and they're doing these really tacky remakes that are you know, done by people who really are not really into doing horror movies, I guess bothersome that they're you know, they end up making a lot of money which is why they continue to do them and you know what i'd like to see is people doing original work that's yeah, here, been here. a continual gripe of mine as well that you know spend that same time and money on an original idea instead of just cribbing from you know in a lot of cases maybe even a mediocre 80s movie or whatever it is you know exactly, what i mean exactly yeah exactly and it's like uh you know I mean, those little movies, you know, when they were originally done, you know, movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre or, uh, you know, The Hills Have Eyes, I mean, they, you know, were done by filmmakers who were really, you know, they had, they, they had a reason to make those movies. They had something they wanted to say. And, um, you know, now it's just a question of, you know, it's commerce. And, um, you know, there are a lot of great films being produced, small films that don't get, you know, real distribution like these movies do. And... Uh, you know, they, they go straight to DVD, and sometimes people discover them, and sometimes they don't. And uh, you know, it's kind of a sad state of affairs. Um, so yeah, that that is something. That, I guess that would be one of my major gripes. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing it with us uh, here on the Bone Bat Show, and thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. You betcha. And uh, just one other thank you. Uh, thanks to your brother David for helping set this whole thing up. It was really oh, kind absolutely. of him. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, give him my best, and. Um, Hopefully we'll get a chance to meet each other in person someday. That would be fantastic. Take care, sir. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
bored. Yeah, Steve? I'm bored. Me too. What do you want to do? I know a toast film festival. What are you, high or only seven? 35 years in the making. It's the Boneback Comedy of Horrors Film Festival. Thursday, September 2nd at the Big Picture Theater in Redmond, Washington. Two features, tons of shorts, and live music from Seattle's own Barefoot Barnacle. Hosted by Stephen Gord of The Bone Bat Show. The festival sponsored by Mac and Jack's Brewery, Flying Saucer Pizza, Scarecrow Video, Comic Stop, Games and Gizmos, GT Printing Equipment, Stalker Farms, Field of Screens, and Indie Flicks. Tickets are $24 in advance or $28 after August 13th. The big picture is a 21 and over theater. Go to www.bonehand.com to get your tickets today. This is going to be huge, just like my wiener. Totally, but dude, you know it really pisses me off. The Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Festival. You get the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. This is Steve. This is Andy. And we're here in Portland at the finish line of the Seattle to Portland Bicycle Classic. How you feeling, man? I'm feeling fantastic. You know what's funny? Yesterday, like when we when we did our day wrap-up, I had like all these descriptions of everything. I can't remember shit from today. I remember a few things. <laughs> I remember crossing the bridge. It's really, it's awesome. We've got all these paparazzi taking our pictures here in Holiday Park. There's a I'm fountain, a there's a band, a beer garden. That's not stuff I remember, but I'm just, you know, <laughs> if I sound distracted, it's, it's, there's a lot of distraction. There is a lot to look at, yeah. So the Lewis and Clark Bridge, really cool. Um, crossing over the mighty Columbia into Oregon. Must have been, what, about 500 bikes going over that all? Maybe a thousand because they, they, they kind of held everybody up in a queue and then they would wait until they would block the cars off and they would take all the bikes across the bridge en masse. The, the bridge, almost the whole length of the bridge I think was filled with bikes. It was pretty amazing. It was very cool to see. Great view and then the added benefit is if you were able to get yourself near the front you knew you had about a five to ten minute window where you could ride down the highway without any fear of cars smushing you. I was, I was surprised how many hills there were today. Today was kind of a hillier day than I expected. For a flat ride, yeah. um, that, and it, where I come from, we don't call that flat. Our friend Liam said that if you ride around Lake Sammamish, that that's hillier than the SDP. He's such a liar. It's like, yeah, it's like Lake Sammamish times two. So order of, ma- order of magnitude maybe, but I'm not so sure. Hey, did you see the unicyclist? I did, yeah. So he, I, think, I think we beat him here. Well, I think we did too, we pa- but, but we passed him at like mile 185, so very respectable. The story we heard way back yesterday at um, Spanaway is that he made it to mile 150 last year and then just died and couldn't make it, and he was back to, to finish the job this year. And based on seeing him at 185, I'm pretty sure he's going to be coming in here pretty quick. Yeah, he was looking strong. We saw a guy on a skateboard. I don't know if he's finished yet. He was going awfully fast. I'm skeptical as to whether he did that all the way from Seattle. Those hills would have been brutal today. <laughs> Your legs would be falling off. 
150 miles of that. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I think you got any other thoughts on, on today's affairs and the ride as a whole? No, it was a wonderful experience. Once again, the sun came out just at the right time, had about two hours of bright, happy sunshine, and uh, it's a great experience. I think I, I think I may sign on to this again, <laughs> but for now, I think I'm going to sign up for beer. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, congratulations on making it. Congratulations to you. Take it easy, listeners. Stuart Gordon, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. Thank you so much, Stuart. What a cool interview, man. That was great, man. I'm glad that we were able to do that. That's really cool. I've, I've been such a fan of his work, you know, since, I don't know, maybe my since first year. Puberty. Few, yeah, few, first year of college, I saw Reanimator. And, th- I mean, you know, before that, I'd seen gruesome movies and stuff, uh, Return of the Living Dead. But Reanimator is arguably far more perverse. <laughs> Easily, yes. Far more. I mean. In Return of the Living Dead, sure, trash can strips off her clothes and gets eaten by zombies, but... But, yeah, there, there's no actual, like, head. And by yeah. head, yeah. literally... <laughs> head. Did I call her trash can? I meant trash. Trash, yeah. yeah. Uh, you were just about to get disemboweled by the entire horror community, so I'm glad you fixed that. Thank you. They don't tolerate that kind of Well, mistake. they shouldn't. Trash can is in the Stephen King book. Anyway, so thank you very much, Stuart. We really appreciate your time. Uh, that last tune you heard was One Foot in the Grave, again, from the brand-new release, Witch Creek, from Witchery on Century Media. Pick it up today. So, dude, multimedia dude. triage. Multimedia triage! Triage! Yeah, so what have we been spending our time on? I first, you know, the first thing I want to talk about is this excellent graphic novel that was sent to us, B.B. Wolf and the Seven LPs by uh, J.D. Arnold and Richard Koslowski. Uh, what did you think of this, man? I thought it was great. You know what? I have never even seen it. What? Ah, you mean, why not? I thought it was sent to both of us. No, uh, Skiznot sent it to you, and you were supposed to forward it to me. Oh. <laughs> did, you bring, did you bring it with you in your luggage by any chance? No, I can't say that I did. Asshole. <laughs> you really so missed Skiznot, out, man. Skiznot, this is on Gordon, uh, for the record. <laughs> I need much more clear, <laughs> concise instructions when people send me things. <laughs> like, write it in crayon on a bright piece of paper. Yeah, it, the the email only said, Dear Skiznot, send it to Gord first. He will forward it to me. And by forward, we meant forget. I, pro- I probably ended the email in best, though, and you totally <laughs> yeah. ignored it because of that. Best! Yeah, fuck this guy. He's not getting <laughs> his comic book. All right, so uh, let me tell you. B.B. Wolf and the 7 LPs. Uh, well, very, why don't you, you synopsize it? I'm going to synopsize the BB Wolf. Synopsize BB Wolf is a blues man, well, a blues wolf in a uh, alternate universe uh, where it's uh, it's sort of the the South during the Jim Crow era, and the wolves, the wolves are the black people, and the pigs are the white people, the white establishment people, and, and he's a blues man. He's a sharecropper who is. Uh, Suffering from he's, he gets screwed over by the by the pigs and it looks like he's going to lose his farm, and uh, it's 
it's his story as as he does battle with the pigs uh, to try to keep his farm and and uh, and get some sort of justice after a lifetime of being pushed around by the pigs. It's it's beautifully illustrated. The illustration is absolutely top notch. It looks kind of old and sepia toned, and the story is very very cool too. It's a cool twist on on the three little pigs. Obviously, it's it's like one half. Uh, it's like a touch of Sin City. And a touch of uh, God, I don't know what else. I've I've never read anything like it, but you should definitely check it out. So I is like it, it a, a is it a single issue or yeah, it's is a it single a full issue. graphic novel. It's or? a graphic novel. I got the version I got, and that you should have, but you don't. Is uh, <laughs> <laughs> like how many pages? Our hardbound. I was about that thick. So so it's a pretty in depth story. Yeah, it's it's a is a full on story. If it was a a collection of uh, of comic books, it would probably be like a four book series. But it's all one. Cool. But BB Wolf and the three LPs, uh, I, I say check it out. Awesome. What else have I been reading? Oh, uh, Ghostopolis, which I think we talked about a long time ago when we, we got did. The... I was just uh, trying to look up what episode we reviewed that in last time. It was about a thousand years ago. It was. Uh, we actually talked about that in episode thirty-nine, our wow. Warp Eleven show. So on 30, Way back in January. Yeah. Well, it's out for real now, and I, I reread the real one, because before I, I only saw the uh, advanced edition, which had mostly black and white. I did as well. It's great. That is my favorite Doug Tanapel thing. Yeah. Now, every time I say his name, I'm, I'm scared that I'm mispronouncing I think, it. I think that's it. Tanapel? I think so, too. Doug Tanapel. <laughs> um, yeah. Good stuff. You've gotta, you've gotta check that out. It's and it's a hefty graphic novel too. It there's is, a lot yeah. To it's it. a, yeah, it's like 260 pages. You're something not like gonna that. read that full color. And there's a nice hardcover version out actually. That that was what I got. Um, yeah, Skiznot sent me that and, too, and I was supposed to. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's just such a a great heartfelt story. It has a lot of heart to it. I actually got kind of choked up at one point at the end. Oh. There there was a point where. The kid is asked a question in the afterworld that choked me up. And I just, I, I thought that was cool because you're going through and it's got adventure. It's got a lot of action. And it's, it's just kind got of that a off chase. the wall creativity. Yeah, too. just uh, amazing creativity. There's a like a big chase through the, the world of Ghostopolis. And it has a very sweet, hopeful ending at the end of it. Yeah, as and his books are wont to do. It, it just. I, I, I love the work. It's great stuff, and you absolutely must read it. And it's you know it's great for all ages. My daughter was reading is reading it now. Yeah, I gave it to my uh, my ten year old. He read it. He loved it. Yeah, uh, you know there there's nothing objectionable at all. Good humor. Yeah, it's, it's got some good little crude humor to it. You know your basic booger humor. Yeah, it's it's great stuff. Yeah. What else? You know what else is great stuff? I saw Despicable Me. Have you seen that yet? I have not. Uh, How is it? That's great. Unlike goddamn Toy Story 3, it's not going to make you cry. Uh, it's just a really fun movie. I know you've seen the ads. You've probably heard people talking about it. I'm one of those people. Very fun movie. Not super deep. Not super, uh, I don't know, not super elaborate. It's just a very, very fun ongoing battle between a couple of super villains with some cute kids and a little bit of heartfelt whatnot. So how does it measure up to other non-Pixar fare? Like I was just trying to think Ice of, Age 3. Oh, it kicks the shit out of Ice Age. <laughs> God damn. I liked Ice Age 2, actually, I think. 
Was that the one? Yeah, I guess that's the one. They're like sliding down the. Yeah, the the one part of the movie that was mildly entertaining, and no, you're the, like one of those people that likes Deadwood because of the one because of of Doc Doc Holliday. It's like yeah, Doc Holliday was great. His time in that movie was good, but the remaining 87 hours of that movie were utter crap. So you you what? like Ice Age because really you hated Deadwood. Yeah. What? Wait a minute. Was Deadwood the one I'm thinking? Of? What was it? There were the two Western movies that came out almost back to back. Oh, it was like Tombstone and Tombstone. That's what I'm thinking. I'm not Deadwood. Deadwood's a series. Yeah, that's really fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. no, no. I take that. Yeah, beat you to death with one of my guitars. That probably would have been justified. (laughs) Tombstone. Yes. Got it. That analogy would have been a lot better if I knew what I was talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, yeah, a lot better than Ice Age. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Check it out. And I would put it. Was Shrek, Shrek wasn't Pixar, right? Better than yeah, Shrek. I, you know, Shrek, I, I don't know. I don't love the Shrek. I don't love the Shrek either. It was better than it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Not better than, uh, oh, what the button eyes, stop motion animation. Coraline. One. Coraline, yeah. Not better than that, but okay. still pretty dang good. Cool. And then, of course, my video game reviews. Yes. If you are an Android user like myself, I highly recommend checking out a game called Space Invader. Not Space Invaders. Not the Space Invaders that you're used to dumping quarters into. Space Invader. It's a pretty simple sit on the can, take a crap, and play a game kind of game. Do you do that? <laughs> you actually take? No, actually I don't. But you, I, when I'm on the no, can, you I do. talk to you. You do. I make phone calls to you. You do. That's the only thing I, I do. I can tell you do. Because the way you're like, no, no, I don't fucking do that. What no. are you talking about? The only thing I do is poop and call Steve. You get all like, very tight-assed all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> it was just kind of weird. You could hear your vocal timbre go up. No, of course I don't do that. Why would I even think that? Best. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, there's nothing to read. And you got to play Space Invader. What can I say? It's a hex-based game. Real simple. There's uh, various colors of hexagons on the screen. And you switch the hexagons to whatever color you want. And that, yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's free. And my talking about Android games is not nearly as painful as you're talking about Swedish Just death metal. Shut the fuck up. Finally, Death Spank. <laughs> now, death, death Spank. I've been looking forward to Death Spank for a long time since PAX last year. Saw the preview of it. You couldn't play the demo at all. But uh, Ron Gilbert was there actually talking about it. And then, you know, to see some of the graphics, it looked pretty damn cool. Yeah, it's fun. There's a half-hour uh, demo you can download on Xbox Live Arcade. Uh, it's, so it's, what type of a game is it? It's a dungeon crawler, except it's not that tedious. You're running around, killing things, getting powers, going on adventures. So like a, like a Diablo sort of thing? Yeah, kind of like Diablo, except with a lot more humor and a lot faster paced, and you don't have to keep going back to your treasure chest. <laughs> Did you get the chicken gun? Got the chicken cannon, man. How's the chicken cannon? The chicken cannon's pretty good. That's fucking cool. Yeah, there's a demon poop hammer, too. (laughs) (laughs) We should name the episode that. Demon poop (laughs) hammer. Demon poop hammer. (laughs) Didn't didn't get to play with the demon poop hammer, but if you download the whole thing, we can. Uh, And I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think the vocals of Death Spank himself were done by the same actor that did the vocals on The Tick. Cartoon. Oh, cool. I think it's the same guy. Uh, Patrick Warburton? Yeah. The upside is it's a very fun, fast-paced game. I, it, It's a lot. Of, it's a really easy thing to do. But the downside is, though it is multiplayer cooperatively, 
the second player has a real minor role. The guy who's not Death Spank is kind of this low-powered wizard douche that heals Death Spank. So, <laughs> so that's all he can do is like... Nah, he can fight the bad guys too, but not as well as Death Spank. Carry Death Spank's golf bag Basically, and Basically, yeah. <laughs> nice. So... Don't don't think you're getting it because you and someone else are gonna have a good time playing it. You're can not. you play it alone? Yeah, you can play it alone. You should. Okay, but not while you're pooping. <laughs> That's probably good. Does it have to hold haul the whole Xbox and TV into the bathroom, <laughs> or simply haul the toilet in front of the Xbox? <laughs> Come on. What gotta, else? Gotta okay, so I, I finished Abe Lincoln Zombie Hunter. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I I don't think my opinions changed. It's all right. I got distracted by other books. Yeah, it's it's not as good as some other things I've been reading recently, and uh, it, the ending was okay. I, I I wouldn't say you know you must run out and read it if you have it sitting around. Give it a shot. It's Give it a done. shot. Yeah, yeah. Tell me how it ends. Finally, um, we were visiting with Brother D and Miss Bren, and <laughs> <laughs> you gotta stop. Doing that, deep throating the mic. <laughs> I can't dude. believe how much of this mic I could fit in my mouth. I can't believe that you just keep <laughs> wanting to. <laughs> well, I, I'm talking into it. It's just, I want to like take a bite out of it. I don't I know wanna... why you keep like alternately bouncing it <laughs> off your chin and forehead. <laughs> it's not that so much. It's that I keep slapping it across my face. That's probably not right. It's, yeah, dude, you're just wrong. <laughs> anyway, so we're, I, I'm talking to Miss Bren. She says, oh, you've got to read this book. And it's a, a book by Scott Sigler, who was uh, previously wrote Infected and Contagious, which are great books. Yeah. I had read those uh, when they came out and really enjoyed them. Uh, a great kind of gripping read in the story. It's about a, this alien infestation, invasion kind of thing that happens. It starts in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I used to live in Ann Arbor. You did. So it was kind of, you know, there's a little bit of a tie in there. And the character's like a football player. And I have, you know, season ticket holder to the Seahawks. I'm a fan of football. So, you know, it just there's a lot of things that appeal to me about it, and it's kind of a, like a gruesome horror story, so I love that. And so it's great stuff. So I, I'm talking to Bryn, and she's like, oh, you've got to read this book. It's called The Rookie. Oh, really? By, yeah, it's by Scott Sigler. Oh, I like his stuff. Yeah, it's a book about intergalactic football. What? It's a, yeah, it's a young adult book. Huh? Right, exactly, and I'm going, you know, that sounds kind of fucking cheeseball. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll get right on what that. What it's right? about, yeah, it's about like there's this human football league 700 years in the future, and this, this guy gets his contract bought out, essentially, by the, the Galactic Football League. And so he moves on to this league where humans play against other aliens. Ooh. And so, yeah, it sounds hella cheese ball. But it's fucking great. Really? It's really good. I'm having a hard and time I, believing I know. It. I wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting, I'm going to read this, you know. And, and check it out. Uh, I, and I want to apologize publicly right now for A, doubting Scott Sigler. Yeah. Dude, you're badass. And B, doubting Miss Brent. Yeah, that I was mean, a mistake. I mean, her opinion of Delamorte Delamore is absolutely fucking wrong. But about this book, she's absolutely right. It's, and she it's, makes a mean pot great. of vegetarian And check chili. this shit out. Look. What? It actually has like a fake magazine for the <laughs> league in the middle of it with all the team logos and like the position who's playing. Wow. It's fucking cool. Like and it's it's almost like a Mass Effect level depth to the universe. Yeah. That the aliens all have histories and why they're physically why they are like they are. Like the the linemen in this league are like these huge six hundred pound caterpillar things. That would be a good line. The the receivers and defensive backs 
are like crickets and they run really fast. <laughs> Like five times as fast as a human. There's humans from heavy gravity worlds that are up to 400 pounds that play like linebacker and tight end. And then the quarterbacks are like regular humans. Of course. It's very cool all the work he did in this book. It, you know, it, <laughs> and then he throws it on the floor. <laughs> Clunk. I'm just going to get out of the way for our okay. discussion. But, you know, it's just, it's really well done. The story's gripping about the quarterback. He moves up into this league and he's kind of a fucking prick, frankly. He's, you know, he's racist against the other races, and he says shit that's absolutely obnoxious, but he finally starts kind of coming around as to the proper way to go about things, and it's just a really fun read. And, you know, the league's kind of corrupt. It's got some corruption around it. People are trying to buy him off, and there's all this just kind of great intrigue going around Do all the the aliens breathe oxygen? Huh. Yeah, I guess they do. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail but, you. But there. some, there's, there's like radiation is a big deal. So there's like one race that can survive in radiation. All the other races can only play like in football fields that are in a dome that are protected. Huh. So, so but I mean, one of the things that Scott Sigler is known for is, is he like talks to scientists about things if they're plausible. And so his science is pretty good. The kind of shit that would bug you like with Star Trek. Yeah. That you're not going to find that in okay. a Scott Sigler novel. He, his his science is buttoned down, and he does a lot of research into that to try to get that right, so that it feels right when you're reading, you know, what is essentially a fanciful tale. That's cool because I just made a cartoon with a valence electron boner joke in it. <laughs> and that's it. My science is sound. Oh, okay. I demand sound science. <laughs> yeah, you'll find it here. He, he does a great job with that. You know, and I think he, he talks like to biologists and stuff to say, okay, is this possible? Is that possible? And, you know, like one of the races has pedipalps. I mean, you know. So he, they're he, like Michael Jackson? No. He, you know, so he, he's taking bits of real creatures and putting them together to make his aliens. Cool. Uh, the, there's a, the second book I think is out now or is about to come out called The series? Starter. Yeah. So that's. <laughs> Basically, the the first year is the rookie getting into the league, and then from there, you know, I don't know what happens next because I'm not quite finished with this one. But it's great stuff. Huh. I was really surprised, it's and craziness. the whole thing is a free podcast on iTunes or off of his website. Wow! And the, the he's cleaned up the language in the print version, so it's like oh, those shucking aliens, you know, that <laughs> kind of thing. It does a little bit of the frack thing from Galactica, yeah. But on the podcast, he does not. So is the podcast like a radio drama, or is it just reading the book? It's a radio drama. Cool. Yeah, with, with like, you know, each each episode has, like, a, a fake uh, sports broadcast from the future talking about what happened in the league this week. Cool. Deaths. Because people get <laughs> killed in this league. I mean, it's yeah, yeah it's, it's really enjoyable. Check it out. That's all I I'm going to have to listen to that. All right. Do you have anything else? I got nothing else. Then, I guess it's time for Filthy Jones. Jokes. Should I go first? Or yeah, go ahead. Okay. Why is the contraceptive sponge such a great idea? I give up. Why? Because after sex, your wife can jump right up and wash the dishes. <laughs> okay. So this. Thank you. Thank you. We're here <laughs> once every three weeks. Try so. the fish. Tip your waitress. So this uh, guy's talking to a gal, and she says, uh, "You know, uh, professionally, I, I am uh, an actress in porn films." He goes. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty cool. But you know, how'd you feel about going out on a date with me sometime? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, when do you want to do it? And uh, they're talking. She goes, "Let's see. Uh, 
I work Tuesday and Wednesday, so how about Thursday? Let's, uh, how about Monday? <laughs> Very good. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Stuart Gordon for the awesome interview. Thanks to Witchery for allowing us to uh, feature your music this week. Also, thanks to Jensen for the interview. Usual bullshit. Show phone number is 425-296-6557. You can email the show at steve at bonehand.com. And we actually have a little contest we're going to do. Oh, that's right. We got a contest. Jeez, We've we got a contest. Okay. Right now, throughout Seattle and Redmond, you will find Bone Bat Film Festival posters. At our sponsors. All over town. Even some people that aren't our sponsors have posted them up in their workplaces. That's true. So... Here's what you do. Take a picture of yourself in front of one of our Bone Bat Film Festival posters. Email it to steve at bonehand.com. We will draw from all of the people who send in a picture, and somebody is going to get a cool-ass prize pack. That's right. You get good, cool stuff. The winner will be announced in episode 53. So visit our sponsors and take your picture in front of the poster. Just tonight, we were at Flying Saucer Pizza having a delicious pie. And they had three of our posters up in there. That's right. So you have three different places. The one caveat, you can enter as many times as you want, but they have to be different posters. Yeah, you can't like take 16 pictures of you at uh, Flying Saucer Pizza. In front of or, the door. Yeah, or 18 pictures of you at Games and Gizmos. No, you gotta, it's got to be different locations. Exactly. But you can go to Flying Saucer and Games and Gizmos and Comic Stop and Scarecrow Video. You could totally do that. And send in four entries. And believe me, the prize package is going to have some DVD goodness, maybe an archived DVD of the show. And it won't just be like our goodness stuff. It, it'll, it won't just yeah, be we'll, we'll have Wombat. Some, we'll take care of you. It's going to be awesome. Wombat. So please, enter today. One thing you will get, though, is an autographed copy of our cool-ass poster. <laughs> yes, because our poster is cool-ass. All right, what else we got going on? I've got new content on Bonehand.com every week, uh, including the heavy half hour. Last week, you may have listened to our Shark Week episode. Fuck yeah. Shark Week, man. Who shark. else is doing a fucking Shark Week metal podcast? Nobody. That's Did, fucking Didn't the new. Discovery Channel do a Shark Week thing? Absolutely. That's where I got the idea. But they didn't put any metal in there? No. It's the same week, though, man. Oh. I was out the same time as Shark Week. Wow. This is the kind of brain that is working here in the studio. My God. <laughs> also, you can follow me on Twitter. I am Bonehand there. Or you can follow the Bone Bat feed as well. And I continue to spew forth a new cartoon every week at MightyWombat.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Mighty underscore Wombat. And I do a podcast every once in a while, Steve. Yes, you do. Cool. Also, if you like what we do, uh, please drop us a review or just a star review. It doesn't have to be text on iTunes. Uh, right now, it's really important that we get the word out about who we are as there's, you know, the eyes of the world are upon us with the film festival. So please uh, put your uh, opinion out, out there. Even if you don't think we're that awesome, at least say something so people know what we're about. You suck. <laughs> or even better yet, tell your friends. The film festival tickets, as we mentioned, are on sale now for the September 2nd event. By the time this hits, there's only going to be about a week left before the price goes up to 28 bucks, and everything will be available at Will Call. So you want to get your cheap tickets now. Cheap ticks. And that's it. Thank you for listening. Our final tune tonight, 
Uh, we're going to go all the way back again to Restless and Dead. This is one of my favorite tunes from Witchery. This is a long instrumental. Well, an instrumental anyway. Born in the Night. I'm Steve. And this is Gore. Have a good one. Best. <laughs>
best. Ah, he's the master of the universe. I thought it was savior of the universe. Savior of the universe. I cannot watch you. What you're go on? You're violating my microphone. <laughs> it's really fucked up, dude. <laughs> I can fit this whole mic in my mouth. <laughs> it's just wrong. <laughs>